I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is JobMakers. I'm sure you have an opinion on refugees, but how much do you actually know about them? What do you really know about the process of identifying, screening, and resettling people from foreign lands who cannot go back home? For Jay Sang Sun, research associate at the Immigrant Learning Center's Public Education Institute, the co-host of this podcast, correcting misinformation and disinformation about refugees is paramount, especially today with the potential for an influx of refugees who assisted our special forces in Afghanistan and the consequent public discourse around it. Jay Sang, or Jay, is completing his doctoral degree at Syracuse University with research on the deportation of refugees from the U.S. His interests include transnational migration, diasporic nationalism, multiculturalism, and refugee studies. Jay clears the air for us on refugees and the resettlement program, including costs and benefits to us. And more importantly, he profiles just who refugees are, people just like you and me, except displaced and persecuted with nowhere to go, something many of us will never experience, as you'll discover in this week's Job Makers. Jay Sang Sun, Research Associate at the Immigrant Learning Center's Public Education Institute. Welcome to Job Makers. Thank you. Glad to be here. So refugees, of course, have been in the news quite a lot recently. Um, and your research at Syracuse has focused on refugees and the work you do as a research associate at the Immigrant Learning Center's Public Education Institute looks at immigration broadly, including uh, data and stories of refugees. Can you define what a refugee, who a refugee is and how that's distinct from an immigrant? Sure. A refugee can be defined as a person outside his or her country of nationality who is unable or unwilling to return to the country of origin or nationality because of persecution or a well-founded fear of persecution on an account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or a political opinion. So it's almost someone who's pushed out of their home country, right? Absolutely. Forcefully displaced. And that's really the distinction for an immigrant, which is someone who generally who chooses to move for some reason. Yes. Um, a lot of people attribute that agency to regular migrants, whereas um, refugees would lack such agency to move about freely. So what kind of person is a refugee? Like what kind of qualities do you think they have or, or characteristics? What, what do they bring with them? Refugees bring refugees are just like you and me. Um, they are um, hardworking people. They are people with dreams and passion and goals um, and, you know, people who pursue um, happiness in their lives. But the kind of person who is forced to move to another place, and let's be clear, that move is not an easy move, right? It's not as though they just get on a plane and, and land in Buffalo and, and they start a new life. It's oftentimes they are forced to move to a neighboring country. They are in refugee camps, sometimes for years on end. Uh, the stories of refugees you know, from Vietnam who had to flee in the dead of night, be caught by pirates, be caught by security, be thrown in jail. Um, what are some of the journeys like 
I'm not a refugee myself. So um, these are anecdotal evidences and stories that I have heard from others. Um, but yes, uh, most of refugees' journeys to safe resettlement have um, have been very, very dangerous, treacherous, and um, they were met with force of nature at many times. And the fact that they were displaced from home, um, I think it presents enough challenge for anyone, but to make that journey to safety is, um, I can't even begin to fathom how difficult it may be. And you bring up two important things. One is that they are just like you and me. They just want to lead regular lives. They want happiness. They want, um, they have dreams, they have passions, but they've also been through something that is life-changing, something that is uh, dangerous, something that's treacherous, um, life-risking. Uh, and so I think of, of some of the, the refugees that I know personally, you know, the person who cuts my hair, she tried to flee Vietnam 10 times as a teenager before she was actually successful. Each time she tried, she was thrown in jail. Um, I think of uh, Hong Tran, who was interviewed for this podcast several months ago, uh, who in the process of, of fleeing Vietnam, they were attacked by pirates and his mother and baby sister were killed. Um, and then they have to go on in these new countries, learn a new language, learn a new culture, learn new laws, try to get an education. Um, what happens to refugees once they resettle in the U.S.? That's an excellent question. Um, many refugees go through the resettlement processes, which have been streamlined as a result of the 1980 Refugee Act. Um, um, although different agencies do different things, um, they are resettled and um, they're, they are they are asked to meet an economic self-sufficiency by um, getting a job very, very quickly upon their arrival to the United States. Specifically to within two weeks? Um, not necessarily two weeks. Uh, this data goes to show that most refugees, once resettled, um, they are able to secure um, some form of employment within the two weeks of arrival. And that form of employment is generally not where their careers left off in their home countries, right? I mean, no, they start off um, cleaning, see, Dunkin' Donuts. Right. You see doctors and professors and these people with professional degrees having to um, start their new American life as dishwashers and janitors and things that they have never really done before. And so what happens when a family, let's say a family is settled in the U.S.? Who determines where they go? Who are the ones financially helping them out? The, journey, the initial journey that refugees make are um, partially funded by the State Department um, through this international organization called the International Organization of Migration. Um, each individual is generally um, given a loan of about $1,100 um, so that they can make the journey over here. And after six months of arrival, they are expected to pay back in full amounts, although interest-free, interest um, in full amounts of the money that they um, borrowed from the State Department. But beyond that, the, the help that they receive in settling in, in finding a job, in learning the language, those are generally done by nonprofits, right? Most of those works are done by nonprofits. And for decades, nonprofits have been the backbone of strengthening um, refugee resettlement programs within the United States and also um, selling our model of um, doing refugee resettlement overseas to those countries that are just starting to pick up what it means to resettle refugees. 
So Jay, give us an overview of, of refugee policy in the US. It's, it's a fairly recent phenomenon, no? Or did it start off much earlier than we think? It did start off uh, much earlier than, than we think. When most people think about refugee policies and refugee resettlement, we often jump to the 1980 Refugee Act, which is um, not entirely uh, not entirely false. But um, some would ar- actually argue that the history of refugee policies um, started long time ago. Some some argue it started as early as the Mexican Revolution when um, many, many people were displaced as a result of the revolution, um, who were then admitted to the United States as refugees um, and who were given permanent residency. But um, certainly the modern refugee policies have its roots um, and we can date back to World War II wherein Jews and other minorities under the Nazi persecution challenged the world with a massive global refugee crisis. Um, The first instance of the United States Um, policies on refugees was perhaps the presidential directive um, dated December 22nd of 1945, when President Truman authorized displaced displaced persons and refugees to receive expedited admissions to the United States within the framework of the existing immigration laws at the time, which was largely based on the quota system of the 1917. Now, this directive allowed some 40,000 displaced persons to enter the United States under the existing quota regulations, and it was considered a success on the very first and the very first instance of the specific Refugee Act. Um, and then in 1948, the Displaced Persons Act was passed, and it was the very first specific Refugee Act um, after World War II. And that allowed um, it aimed to address nearly 7 million displaced persons in Europe in the aftermath of the World War II and allowed refugees to enter the United States within the quota system. Um, Needless to say, because the immigration laws at the time, particularly the quota system and its roots in racism and segregation, only accepted refugees of certain kind and national and ethnic backgrounds. Um, Notwithstanding its bias selection of refugees, though, um, this act did admit more than 350,000 displaced persons into the United States. In 1952, the Immigration Nationality Act reorganized the existing immigration and nationality laws. And although it maintained a quota system, it lacked um, it lacked the refugee-specific provisions. So it allowed structurally for other ad hoc programs, including um, the Azorian Refugee Act of 1958, the 1959-62 um, Cuban Refugee Program, the 65 Cuban Airlift, 62 Hong Kong Pirelli program. All of these ad hoc programs were in um, were installed between 1952 and um, 1965. Um, in 1965, amendments were made to the Immigration and Nationality Act that fast tracked the uh, adjustment of status for a lot of refugees that came in already in the United States. And then in um, in 1980, uh, the Refugee Act of 1980 was passed, overhauling a lot of this, um, a lot of these ad hoc refugee programs and streaming, streamlining um, a lot of the processes and administrative procedures um, to go about bringing in refugees on a more um, orderly fashion. So, describe for us the waves of of, of refugees we've seen since 1980. Since 1980, um, we've definitely seen a wide variety of refugees who entered the United States that have um, strengthened our diversity and our commitment to humanitarianism in this country. Um, 
But many of the refugee patterns um, follow the, a lot of the refugee, a lot of the um, crises that happened ar around the world at the time. So um, the it, in the in the 80s, we saw a lot more Cubans coming into specific corners of our countries, and a lot of Indo-Chinese refugees entering through the Pacific um, coast of the United States. And since then, we have seen. Um, an increasing number of refugees from the continents of Africa and um, the Middle Eastern region. And Eastern Europe as well, right? Absolutely. So what you're saying basically is that we've, all, we've for a very long time accepted refugees, no matter where they are in the world. At one point, there was a quota system that would have limited uh, those admissions to an extent. But what is, like... What is the responsibility of countries to accept refugees? Like, what is this rooted in? It's root. I would argue that it's rooted rooted in our commitment to humanitarian principles. Um, the United States government signed a United Nations um, High Commissioner of Refugees Convention and the protocol um, the protocol to it in as as early as the nineteen sixties. So um, we are. You know, some may argue that we are simply following our um, promise to adhere to these international guidelines, which are deeply rooted in the humanitarian principles to never see um, crises like that we did um, in the aftermath of World War One and World War Two. So what are some of the, uh, let's bring it into Massachusetts, and Massachusetts is perhaps not widely known as a popular place to settle refugees, but we certainly uh, have and uh, will continue to. So um, give us some stats about refugees in Massachusetts. Absolutely. Um, since 2010, um, to Massachusetts, total of 14,573 refugees resettled, uh, the top five countries from which refugees came from are Iraq with 3,849 people, Bhutan um, with 2,725 people, Somalia, 1924, Democratic Republic of Congo with 1,576 people, and Burma with um, 1,128 people. And um, they set up, th there are different destinations within the state of Massachusetts, but um, we were able to identify Worcester, Lowell, Lynn, and Spring to Springfield to be the top destination for these refugees. What are some of the trends we see with refugees to the U.S.? Um, do they tend to, as you talked a little bit earlier about economic self-sufficiency, uh, what are some of the trends, financial and otherwise, that you see with refugees? Sure. Um, there are different interesting facts and statistics and trends on refugees. For example, on average, refugees have shown to naturalize faster than any other lawfully permanent, a lawful permanent residence. Um, Sixty-six percent of refugees who entered the U.S. during the period of 2000 and 2010 were naturalized, uh, became naturalized citizens. There are other statistics that that look at employment of refugees. Um, Studies have shown that um, refugee men specifically are um, in the workforce in higher rates than their American counterparts um, in terms of refugee um, self uh, refugees economic self sufficiency. Um, we have to remember that refugees are um, because 
refugees goal, refugee resettlement's goal is to meet that economic self-sufficiency, they're almost um, encouraged very, they're encouraged very much to find jobs very fast. Um, and some studies show, despite the fact that they are uh, forced or they, they are encouraged to find jobs very, very fast. Um, some, there are a lot of studies that goes to show that it takes about on average about seven years for an average refugee to reach that economic self-sufficiency and um again the path to um the path to getting that economic self-sufficiency is not always um very very flowery um, for most refugees describe that to us because i don't think obviously most Americans don't have a sense of what refugees, certainly what they've gone through in their home countries while being displaced after leaving their home countries. But can you just sort of guide us through in a very descriptive way what it is like for refugee families once they settle here? What what, what do they go through? Absolutely. Um, refugee, refugee families, for example, um, there are statistics that go to show that uh, about 46% of refugees um, upon their arrival are on food stamps. Um, needless to say, when they are receiving public benefits as such as food stamps, um, they don't have much. They don't have family members here. They don't have friends or um, other networks that are giving them cash. They don't have food. They don't have toys for the children. Um, so, and, and they don't, in most instances, they don't have the... Um, the educational or the language ability to um, seek opportunities that they may otherwise be completely eligible for. So every aspect of life is incredibly difficult for them. And not to mention, because they are refugees who have experienced these severe degrees, you know, varying degrees of persecution, many refugees suffer from either physical or mental um, disabilities, and um, many of them are. Um, sh- many of them have shown to suffer from PTSD sp- specifically. Um, so, refugee lives upon resettlement isn't as perfect, or only you know it. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't evolve around success stories only. And as distinct from. Other migrants, I know that, for instance, this podcast is called Job Makers, and we look a lot at immigrant entrepreneurs who have a higher than average rate of business generation, because I know for the immigrants overall, it's about 11%, and for refugees, it's about 13%. So, Jay, can you sort of speak generally as to what the impact of refugee resettlement in the receiving country? Sure. Refugee resettlement, um, albeit it is different than immigration is the the impact to which refugees have on our country and our communities are very, very similar. They enrich our diversity. They um, populate our cities. They bring in jobs. They become entrepreneurs. They become our partners, our family members, and they become Americans. So the impact to which refugees have on our country are not only very similar to immigrants, but the fact that they are able to overcome a lot of the hardships and the difficulties in making the journeys over here um, help us to um, 
help us to I mean I feel I feel as though they almost enrich the resiliency of America. Absolutely. They do. Absolutely. They, you know, they bring they bring examples, living examples of how to overcome, how to overcome these difficulties, how to be successful. And they provide a blueprint for our next generations to be this resilient generation of population, resilient generation of Americans who will lead our country and continue to help in the spirit of humanitarianism that we have been doing for the last decades. Is there anything else you wanted to add about uh, refugees? Uh, there's, there's so much misinformation around refugees. Like, if there are a couple of things that you wish would really be cleared up in the American the public discourse on refugees, what do you think they would be? Like you said, Denzel, there there are so many um, information regarding refugees, immigrants, refugee resettlement, immigrant um, integration. All of these information, there's there's such a wealth of information online and out, outside, right? Um, one thing that I, I hope that the general population will look um, look closely closer into is defeating these um, unfounded claims on refugees and immigrants. Like, um, for example, refugees are like a, like just like how we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. Um, they are people just like you and me. They bring hopes and dreams to this country, and statistics have shown that they reach success. They don't reach success illegally. They don't reach success through crimes. They reach success because they have grit. They have spirit of entrepreneurship with them, just like you and me. So I wish, I, I hope that um, when looking for these information online, people are um, able to see the, the the true intent and you know the clear information that they can find that's based on facts and empirical results. And I imagine that you will be coming up with some of the more of these facts and empirical results in your role as research associate at the Immigrant Learning Center's Public Education Institute, whose mission is to educate Americans on the contributions of immigrants and refugees, and really to inform the discourse uh, with facts, with nuance, um, with stories. And, you know, we need to remind ourselves that this is a nation of immigrants. And at the same time, we're the greatest economic and cultural powerhouse in the world. Um, and we were enriched by all the different cultures and um, viewpoints and perspectives that have informed uh, where we are today. Jay Sang Sung, thank you so much for joining us on Jobmakers. Thank you. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center of Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's fascinating discussion on how immigrants and refugees, together with the U.S.-born, make a better U.S. If you know someone we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. Leave us a review on your favorite streaming service, too. I'm Denzel Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers.